Good morning, and this is Tevo D'Arcy of Tevo Creative Leadership. We're going to speak on covering. And if you are not a person who believes in speaking in tongues or come in, come in down from a family of such, then you probably think, what in the world is that? And I believe the same way. I didn't understand it or want to ever heard, hear from it coming down from Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and mostly Baptists on my parents' sides, and they were really not indifferent. They were really on fire for the Lord, but in a genteel way, southern way, and they were very respectful, and they relied on the Holy Spirit. They renewed their mind with the Word. The husbands were in business. The women were very capable overseer managers of their household, but it wasn't a plantation. They were very unracist, and they were very respectful to all walks of life, all kinds of people. And when my aunt got a divorce because her Episcopal her Episcopal um, priest husband had committed adultery on her, we took the four children in. Well, she was ill and needed help, so we, she had an African-American heritage nurse. So Helen lived with us, and we would treat her just like the family. We'd all laugh together and you know, I didn't grow, grow up thinking anything about it, that we weren't segregated. So the idea is when you come from different parts of the country, different backgrounds, different faiths, you're going to have different vocabulary, different preaching that emphasizes certain things. And so I'm not the kind of person with white skin, Western European heritage that preaches or thinks we are the world, we control everybody, we own everybody. But that is out there, and that's usually in the group I called we-centric. I'm not we-centric, I'm we-global. I think other races, we think out in the field, just, you know, real people, no matter what your faith, your background or race or status or education. My parents were, I guess you'd say, sort of white collar, but they were down to earth. You wouldn't know it. They were just scholars. And we served. Some of my memories were out in the in the field, in the country, you know, like the country church. And yet, that's where my father pastored for a while when I was growing up. He was a seminary graduate. And then... But we were led by the Spirit. It was like, oh yeah, we just want to hear God. No matter what it is, we'll do it. And that's how they were. And they also taught school. I never went to seminary. When I grew up and I got the call, after my dad died, my grandmother died, if my mother's mother, who was very effective on me as a minister woman, though they didn't call themselves titles, my, my grandmother then, that was the day of Presbyterian. And she was just like a servant leader, but taught the Bible and a scholar helped the poor and had her own ministry, but no one thought anything. It was just part of her nature. So when I grew up and it was time for me to answer God's call, I just asked God, Lord, should I go to seminary? My father had died and my sister and mother had heard God to go up to Oklahoma and to go to Bible college. They went to Rama Training Center. So I'd fly out there and then go back carrying a little newborn at the time. And I would say, Lord, am I supposed to go? Do I get to go to Bible college? college or seminary somewhere? And the Lord said, no. I went, what? So I said, well, what what about that? He said, and he gave me a verse in John. It says, you will have no need that any man shall teach you, but the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. And that was it. So I thought, I am a bookworm. I am a Bible student, Jesus person, grew up with faith in the family, you know, with an intellect. And I thought, all right, that's all right. TV had just started to come into play, media, Christians, and I knew I could always, that isn't what I thought at the time, but I, I realized I could at the time 
I knew the body. I was always interested in the different kinds of born-again Christians, black and white, and their doctrine, because the Lord had called me prior to this moment when I was sitting in a Presbyterian church with my husband before children, and it was half charismatic, half church, but they weren't plastic. They were real people seeking truth, seeking more about the Holy Spirit in a deep way. And the Lord just said, I want you to study my whole body, all their different doctrines, their leadership styles, their vocabulary, what they are, their pet peeves with other, you know, their doctrine and so forth, their music styles. So I said, okay. So then that happened and years passed. You just be led by the spirit like a servant of God. So then I would stumble across different, you know, invitations. They'd invite me to pray or I'd hear about the prayer call for racial repentance, healing of between denominations back where I used to live. And that went on a lot, and it was very effective and very mature. I haven't found it out here. It's more social, butterfly-type ministry, down deep. So, the, And the issue it isn't, in my opinion, it could go a lot deeper out here. There are some that are in pockets. But anyway, so I would just be led of the Spirit, and it was... When I was led to study the ones who believe that if you accept, accept Jesus Christ into your heart, which is what the Bible teaches in the New Testament, as your only personal Savior, and you walk within, then you're born again. And that's the kind. When we've gotten media and all the circus of media and all the weird moves and all the good moves and all the things that are not sound at the local level, where I call them Bible thumpers exist and don't exist, some are not. And you get the TV media affected media, which is my turf. I think this is it. The you must be born again media, which has turned either accuser or proud. So I'm going to talk today about this different vocabulary called covering. That means spiritual authority. That means who's over whom, who's under whom. I'm writing now about who is Paul, Apostle Paul, over who is he under? Because he was a famous, as you know, I call him the first church apostles, the chief apostles that started the church, jump-started it after Jesus commissioned them. Paul was not mentored by Christ personally. The other 12 were, but he wrote uh, two-thirds of the New Testament after his time up in Arabia because he was distanced from by the first 12. They didn't trust him. They weren't mature at the time. So, you know, but they were... Nobody's perfect, none of us, not them, but they are. We honor them. They are significant that God used them in that place and time. And there are certain mantles and calls and DNA and their family to jumpstart the work, a whole work of the first church, which is now around the world, not just America. So we look back then, we think, well, how did they run it and what were they like? Well, they had a combination. They had like the Jewish people with law, their history of the law, traditions. Then they had the Gentiles, that was everyone else, from the Temple Diana mega ministry, false idols, Baal worshippers, sacrificed children, Molech and all that. They had the people that were Romans and Scythians and Greeks, and then they had within the you know all the Gentiles, everybody who's not a Hebrew background is a Gentile even today. So we have such a quagmire, a hodgepodge of pre-Christian church, some legalism, too much, some too much freedom, and then people just natural, soft-spoken who just wanted to find God, just like we do today when it's really basically post-Christian. Not because God wanted it to, not because the devil did it, because the Christian church is asleep, has been, 
So we are going to minister today by offering you this Selah. And I have watched as a Christian for many decades. I've watched the unsung leaders do their thing and then new moves will come into a region and to my former home as they do now and then they'll go. And then some will bring good things, some will bring fake, some will be some will stay etched in their traditions and try to people please by following and copycatting former moves to get curry favor and win and be selected and then others will maybe be unsuspecting clueless and then they'll just swallow anybody's teaching because the person wears a good suit or she does or he does or maybe they didn't have great debt which is not their fault of not a great father or parents mine was by grace only undeserved favor you know grace even then I got parents that were saved so the idea is that nobody has it all nobody wants it all but we can use what we've been given good and bad plastic and phony true and valid to help minister to help somebody similar or equal that you know has been through similar that you need to help them overcome so then we add everybody traditional people never left town people that are transported all over the place the good news the gossips you name it children and lay leaders and people who call themselves elders some that sacrifice some that don't some have husbands that work some don't have husbands some have husbands that do not work and all sorts of different you know family situations person situations we add tv we add tv that came in on the 80s and then they started to know because of you know billy graham was really on tv and he if you look at his clips google him for really a total shift a whole shift away from charismatic culture let's put it this way primarily tv affected media before it got slick look at billy graham and watch two or three of his programs and you will know the holy fear of the lord so then you look at the movements that came because of god allowing people really good people called to have television as they, as they do now and nobody's finding fault with this we just know that when god brings a new move whether it's my kind or your style he will use what the bible says untrained and ignorant people and there's nothing wrong because that's usually people are open like the good shepherds the shepherds in the fields sitting watch over their flocks by night they were the untrained ignorant group not the in crowd of the legalistic pharisee system god purposely chose them because of their humility their floundering their know they were not perfect their open hearts so when we find God moving on any people group in or out of the system, he will test and try their hearts with his move and he'll use people and then he'll, the devil will send counterfeit plastic or whatever, hype, pomp and ceremony, too many things that are really not legitimate in the New Testament humility sense or the community sense or the sweet fragrance of real Jesus followers. So if we isolate the New Testament, we know that we're not, it's important to know we're back, not back under the law. That means we're not back under legalism. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He was a prophet that fulfilled the law, yet he was not like an Old Testament prophet. He heard God, but he wasn't one of these overly dramatic, you know, people in, since the 90s up have penned books about prophecies or what how to teach prophecy and they'll say certain books have said that I've read it says you know prophet a real office prophet today 
might be moody, might be, you know, severe, might be cranky. And I think they haven't really finished studying Jesus Christ, the spirit of New Testament prophecy, and I have. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, for example, that in the former days, God used his, he spoke to his prophets. God used prophets to speak to his people. That means the national leaders of the Hebrews through various means. So flip back, go through Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha, the signs and wonders, which he still could do today. We don't know what God will end up doing. But the idea is these people were more craggy. And nobody could hear the Lord back then except a few, and they were called by God, and those were the prophets, maybe a priest, but really the prophets, the oracle office, would go and pray, seek God, come out with the word for the nation and for the people of Israel. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, In the former days, God spoke to the, the fathers, the groups, in diverse manners using the prophets. So he did it that way. It was, a you know unusual. Axe head floated and all these things, signs and wonders. It says, in the new day, God speaks to us through his, he speaks to us through in the office ministry through his son, Jesus. So therefore we have to look at how a prophet is taught, represented, and how we tell God's people about what a prophet is. All right. It's servant leadership. If you read about Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he was alive on the earth, that's my secret. You go and you read and study Jesus as he entered every single kind of relationship, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And then he, how did Jesus act at that relationship? And how did he react if he was under pressure? And that's how we act. So our Bible says that in Revelation 19.10, it says that the spirit of Jesus is the testimony of prophecy or the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, excuse me. So we have to mean that means that the prophet or a person that teaches about prophecy has to look like Jesus. Well, as I know in Hebrews 1 9, Jesus had the oil of joy and gladness above his fellows, it said. He didn't take himself too seriously. I know that Jesus went out and played with the children. He didn't take himself, he wasn't you know, hidden by bodyguards and handlers. Let me say that about bodyguards and handlers. If you know how weird it is, it is weird. Then maybe you need to have them if God tells you. Otherwise, don't be approachable. I like Jesus as the prophet of the New Testament because he reminds me of my dad. My dad was very approachable, an unsung hero, and he just was a true person, respected my mother, his mother, my mom's mother, all the people, black people, white people brown people. He didn't care because he saw God. He just really wanted to respect the human, the everyday human. And that's who I want to be. I am. I like it. So the idea is that we know that there are groups that put on airs and there knows, knows that groups don't. And the Bible says that, you know what? Everybody falls short. Nobody knows it all. It says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I know I have. The other part is that it says when the gospel in the first church was presented to untamed, ignorant men, they didn't, God didn't intend for them to stay that way. They could, in time and study and prayer, grow more studious and scholarly, have more dignity for the sake of the gospel, knew what following Christ, follow it meant, ins and outs and that's how we want to pray on emotionally healthy representation if anything that is this ministry emotionally healthy james three seventeen fruit of relationships in the fear of the lord for every human 
respect, every equal opportunity respect for the office of every human made in God's image, Psalm 139. My dad didn't ever talk like that, but that's how he lived. And that's why I just think of God as like that Jesus walking around, prophet or not, apostle of the whole first church, apostle over chief apostle over all the chief apostles of every work in, name in, in the name of Jesus. That is our Christ. But he went about silently, one day in, one day out, doing good, according to Acts 10.38, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, respecting his mother, all types of people, all leaders, all women and men. Okay, so we look at the quality of the leadership. So then, you know, here's what I want to follow. If you can study the fruit of leadership in males and females, and you study how they treat people, react under pressure, how they deal with people, ins and outs, you're going to say, I really do want to go to that ministry. I really do want to go to that fellowship because I know that they are fair. I know that they are respectful and honor people of all ages, faiths, and genders. So then we look and think, well, what is it that some groups, you go in there, they're so happy to see you. They light up. They have all kinds of colors in there. No big eyes, little use. They're really interested in servant leadership. They know God's heart because they're really about community, about a faith-filled community, not anyone having to lord it over the other or anyone having to rise up over often and honor the head person, the head oracle as they come in and no big, big deal and, you know, no big cheeses. The only big cheese is Jesus. And so I love that. And see, there is a difference without titles, without formula without, you know, bishop honoring and prophet honoring and pastor honoring over much. It's, you should honor, because the opposite is there are people who are really weak and they could really be ignorant and clueless about boundaries and respect. So you have to do teaching of that kind of group for a while, but train everybody and then don't overdo it where God gets 20 minutes of worship and the bishop or pastor gets 45. I've seen that on several, more than one occasion. So that's, that were, that's when these things quicken me when I see it more than three times. Three times or more I teach. The idea is you're teaching people, God's people, but then they're, you're emulating it about formula and hype and that you respect the person maybe equally with God to little children. That's what we're saying. We want Jesus to be, his house to be about everyone hearing God in a relationship, everyone free to be a noble Berean, pick apart with James 3.17, kind fruit, not critical, what the pastor teaches, including myself, this one here. The idea is that some groups don't have this, some do, but I'm talking about when you go into a group that usually believes in praying in tongues and they have good prayer warriors, I think a lot of them have a lot of issues with women. They've had a lot of problems with women and they didn't know what to do because maybe they weren't respected by their mother growing up. That's my thought. I was, and I also know that I was respected by my father and I've always been James 3.17. But I know that certain people come from different backgrounds and may have had a real craggy, maybe authoritarian female or, or something you know, prejudiced or something where they come out of teaching under the law, which says, and this is it, all, like the Old Testament, all men are the authority. Women have none. 
And I hate to say it, some of them go so bad, it's almost like the women are second-class citizens and that the men need to be raised up and the women withstood. I've literally been around amongst this kind, and I moved out, but it took me two or three years to figure out what I was seeing, and it was deep south. So the thing is, it makes me all go back and think, well, they're under the law. Where, you know, they have really great, some of these are fun. Some of these are praiseworthy. Some of these have really good things they say that are quality. And the people look good and shiny. The issue is, what is it when you feel that you have a, you know, what is it when you feel and you notice that women are always never on stage or women are really held, and there are no black people. Use where there's no women, there's one black person. <laughs> And I started, because I was never raised around that, it made it easier for me to under, to get it. It got my attention in the spiritual sense, because I was never raised back under the law. I had freedom to be myself from my father and my mother, and nobody had this stigma, well, thou shalt not female, thou shalt not white female. Black people don't do it either. Now, I think black people have their own thing that maybe they've you know gotten through the Western European, some of this patricianism maybe has infected the Nicolaitans, like elevated ministry too much in certain groups only. But in general, I could go myself as a strong leader, female who's quiet. I can go to an African-American church anytime and they'll just light up because they, they're spiritually discerning of who you are. Could be because they had so much oppression and slavery that they developed that sense and they come from more of the hunter-gatherers over in their nation of origin. And I'm not sure all of those are like that, but I've, when I've had friends of pastors and spoke, you know, stayed in their houses, when I go to a church of any global sense, even global, we global, which are not we centric, those people understand my, my nature and they don't get alarmed. So here's what happened. When I had been treated respectfully by my family, by my neighbors by my most of the you know people in my board were black and white and when I'd been respected around certain kinds in my region these doctrines started to come in slowly from the deep south this elevated ministry the patricianism Roman aristocracy everybody bound scrape and so forth and I thought I puzzled myself because I was always trained from birth up you regard somebody's boundaries and when you're in their house, their business, or their church, you never say anything. You just do what they need you to do, observe the house rules. However, when you're free, you're free to be yourself. And I'm like that. Unless they are evil or violent or mean or really out of it, then I will leave. Anyone should. So I was used to being around town and in the area in regional ministry. And so I would go here and I'd go there and I'd find things really down to earth, humble, primarily and respectful, both black and white. So then these doctrines moved in and I was sent out of town. I didn't know what they were, but it turns out in hindsight and study, and when I found them triple fold, quadruple, quintuple fold, after I moved to DFW in certain parts of the body, I went, oh my stars, let me study the doctrine. At one point when I studied the uh, Eli Templeite priesthood and whelp, Levitical patriarchism back under the law disrespects women. Uh, I also found that the church of Ephesus, that I really love that book of Ephesians, 
is so wonderful. But what happened was the first church that gets rebuked, that lampstand, is the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 because they lost their first love and were into works. And they were under pressure, time-consumed, and lost it. their compassion fatigue. So they're similar to the Eli Temple compassion fatigued priesthood, lacking in empathy, making snap judgments to save emotional energy and time, which I've taught about in great length on TavoLeader.com years ago, 2013 or so. I'll try to bring that out because I'm trying to point out about doctrines that have Western European Levitical patriarchism or whelp, which is really shepherding, overseer shepherding. How did I figure this out? How did you know God allow me to figure it out? Well, one time when I was on a trip, it was not in Virginia, I'd gotten away to go to a conference, really several conferences, and when I was everything was fine in my own home area that people that didn't react or bristle when a female, you know, to my knowledge, broke, walked up and I felt respected. I could feel that. Well, I'd go down to certain parts of the body and though they had a lot of good things, they did. On, and very integrity. I noticed that these were all men. They had no women. They had no blacks at the time. Maybe they were trying to. But anyway, I'd walk in after being everybody friendly as a professional minister. And, oh, yes, this is how we treat peers or God's people in general. And there was no flinching or anything. And I would find that this particular group that I would walk in peaceful as usual, calm, I knew I was in a different flow than my norm, and they were different from me. But I was on, you know, we're Christians, aren't we? Aren't we on the same team? So I'd go in, I'd notice this bristling, and if I tried to say hello to the men, and they were big men, even big men. I mean, I'm five foot ten, five foot nine and a half, and bare feet without shoes. But I mean, these were bigger guys than me, six foot three at least, and much heavier. So I would go up just to say, as a professional top leader of my ministry, apostolic leader, I'd say, oh, I want to thank you for the meeting. And I couldn't start anything. They'd back off. And I'd, if I said hello to the worship team guy, the head guy one time of the same group, it was like I'd sinned. I thought, what is this about me? Is it me, Lord? And it was, I noticed the women were sort of hangdog or chastened, and they had a lot of books about Jezebel. That's when I started noticing teaching affecting relationships. And I noticed that the people were, were like stereotyping me in a racial bias, a racial stereotype. So I thought, let me stereotype them back. I thought, I don't feel it in that group. My daddy wouldn't like that. I felt respected. He didn't have any respecter of person's religious spirit on him. So let me go back and see what happens. I'm gonna, if I'm racially profiled, I said to myself, I said, I'm going to see what kind of people in God's people are doing this. You know, I've never dealt with this. I'm not talking any secular thing. This is all Christian and all you must be born again Christian stuff. I'm saying it to the Christians. Anyone else can listen. But, you know, I, my word is only for the Christian. All right. And I submit it with love and sila, because this is how you can help make Jesus house more safe and sane and accepting, you know, a good witness. So I'd go in and I'd say, here I am, very quiet, meek, James 3.17, acting that any wisdom of God on me is, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and discerning all the boundaries. All I want to do is say hi and thank you for the meeting and, you know what I mean? 
So then they, one guy who's the head leader of one of these, <laughs> I was going to ask him if I could film him later for a interview for my TV show. I never got anywhere. He backed off like he'd seen a Jezebel. He whacked off like he'd seen a witch. And that is so degrading and demeaning to a female, a female of a pure heart and a pure life. It is just degrading. So I made, and the, and the worship leaders were like that too. I thought, any, if I say hello to thank you and I, or maybe ask a question, do you mean that you think I'm coming after you? Is your ego that unredeemed? Unjust? Do you think I'm your groupie just because I'm a, a, a white female coming up? It's so insulting and I want to teach on it for the other female and other, the sake of anybody, men and women. And I did realize I was hitting right at the tips of maybe celebrity worship leaders, the staff, been former celebrities, a lot of them, and really nice, but still coming out of the professional music realm, and maybe they did used to have groupies, so maybe their consciences, maybe they were weak. That's what I think. I was thinking, why do people act this way when this happens or that? And I was thinking, well, you know what? I didn't come from fame. I didn't have any issue with fornication or men or anything by God's grace and maybe these people used to have women after him and maybe they fell for sin before they got married maybe after so but the whole group is skittish <laughs> skittish so I thought if I come up you know quietly and respectfully and they act that way like I'm an out of control after them worked up woman what is in that perception of ministry and in Christian females so I said, let me make my profile. If I'm being profiled without any relationship, no relationship, no, let me introduce myself, no chance, no chance. So all I did was, all right, every time this ever happened, this is how I found well, frankly, my daddy was white, but he wasn't like that. All the white people on my board, Pentecostals were not like that. Baptists were not like that. I'll have to say generally that might be a freak in there somewhere. Uh, and I thought, how come I go up and I get racially profiled, which I feel it because I'm a prophet. And I don't like it. It's not fun. And so I just thought, let me look. Well, here's the profile I got. If I look like a certain type that justifies being accused from afar, this is the type I found. They were middle-aged, been in ministry a while. They were maybe just had seen it all, done it all, and they were white. They were Western European origin, and they came from country. Most every single one came from country. I did not. I did not. My daddy lived in country, but they were more educated. You know, back in the day, they were, they were the white collar of country. <laughs> and yet, he, it wasn't like no one came. I mean, they were like everybody, but it was just like there was no... They were educated. And I, when I traced back the doctrines, and I'd watch who their spiritual advisors were, these same groups, those people were way country and way patriarchal. Because when I would go up to that one of their best-known prophet, famous associates, that person wouldn't give me the time of day. And I thought, just that makes me understand why it says... Fear of, fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 28, 29, 25, but also fear of woman, leader woman can bring a snare. It's, it's, it's like a, 
a bias that projects spiritually from these kind of people. It's a bias. It's a spiritual warfare thing. And I also thought this is how God used it to say this is how it feels to be if you have black skin. I looked at the group every time and I noticed these same Western European Levitical patriarchs believed in women being suppressed. And a lot of the women were depressed because I was out different, you know, over a period of time. And then I noticed that there was no black leadership, and if any, one on any group of these kind of people, and then no female leaders, maybe they're weak, you know, that was 20 years ago on up to now, but maybe they have one, even two at the most, anywhere on their stage, maybe one, or if any. So we want to say to caution, not to condemn, but to caution, I'm assessing, God uses me to assess relationship pure fruit. Is it abiding in James 3.17? Let's say a man, a white man, a white woman, and a black man, or a black person walks up, and then you see them coming, and your heart's going to do something, and your heart's going to either make a snap judgment accusation. Oh yeah, I heard all those white people were like that. My daddy told me Oh, yeah, I had a black person hurt me. Oh, yeah, that black man hurt or molested, you know, blah, 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 or Hispanic. could be Asian as well. And I thought that's the heart game. The Bible teaches us that the heart is wicked. The human heart is wicked. Who can know it? So now let's know it a bit to say if I have a habit or a untrained heart or an unrenewed mind, an unrepentant heart, that I will look at a, if I'm bigoted in my background and biased in my heart and soul, I will look at a stranger from another nation or a black person, white person's skin or their hairstyle, their color of, of a female or whatever nation of origin, and I will flinch and I will either be rude, accusing and judging, or I will not be that way and have a relationship, be relationship, friendly relationship, respecting. And see, we're not asking anybody to trust anybody at this point. We've got to really be careful on that. But we're not to be moved by the outer court. We're not to be moved by family. We're not to be moved by anything but the Holy Spirit in us and the fruit and the Bible and the fruit of relationship. James 3.17 plus Galatians 5.22, Fruits of the Spirit, until proven otherwise. But it made me realize a heightened need of how bad it is to have the... When I moved to the Deep South was worse than I... I that's why I dropped out online and went online at the leading of the Lord. It was caustic Christ-following mixed with TV, media, wannabe, Boanerge, immaturity. They rip off artists. These people that the first group on the, in the North Carolina were not. They were integrity. That's why I could go. I liked them. But I felt like I'm more than just a fan. I'm not a fan. And see, that's it. You're getting over from the normal Baptist, Methodist, Catholic church attenders who want to go and worship God. And they know there's a priest. And they know there's going to be a familiar face of the pastor the chief person, male or female. But when you get over to where there's a lot of this celebrity and hype and more famous, you know, in this age, famous fan club type following and popular books and popular ministry and popular worship and charismatic hoopla and fan clubs, that's when this starts to happen. This is 
not all the place it happens. It can happen in the lowest grassroots. I've been around that too. In Virginia, North Carolina, Florida. Do we forgive them? Yeah. But do we want it to hurt Jesus' name and hurt people? It hurts people. People need, they're so stressed. They're already accused. Their husband's already not speaking to them. They've already been maligned in the gossip of the work. They've already had their children cry. They've already had all this stress in hell. The mother-in-law, mean, father-in-law, that, you know, all the husbands are absent, whatever. They don't need to be back under the law when they paid a price to get there by putting gas in their tank, getting their children ready, all the stress, driving across town, putting themselves out there to be loved and welcomed and warmly greeted when instead they are hostily accused by the head group and their elders and the trained workers on the floor who know this doctrine for simply showing up when they're atypical. My mother, this is all white world. This is white, but not all whites. This is Western European Levitical patriarch, which goes back to the roots of Levi, who is dysfunctional and chaotic and had issues toward women. He had misogyny and chauvinism toward his mother, Leah, who was the weaker, unpreferred, rejected mother. And within the group of Rachel and Leva, Rachel and Jacob and all that, which later turned to be Israel, turned out well in the 12 tribes of Israel, we find the dysfunctional home in which Levi, the head of the tribe, was raised. He was a murderer. He uh, tried to revenge his, his, his daughter, his sister Diana's rape. His mother was rejected. He overstepped his father's boundaries because the father said, don't revenge your da- my daughter's rape, my daughter's rape. Don't do that because I'm going to let, to avoid war, we're going to let her marry the guy because he really loves her. Well, if you study that like I did, you're going to find that the typical middle child syndrome, the typical child raised, un, you know, by the, his father was not as in love with Leah like he was Rachel, the other wife. And then there's caustic chaos and dysfunction in the home because both wives, Rachel and Leah, vied for the intention of the husband and they would even get maids to have children to win the amount of children. That's how bad it was. And see, thank God for Jesus. I had to teach on this because it's so comforting. Jesus was not as a minister down from the tribe of Levi. He came from the root of Jesse, which is the tribe of the agricultural tribe of Judah, which means to plow and in the spiritual sense to praise. Hallelujah for that. So nothing could come on down from his mother Mary's side to bring that dysfunction and critical nature accusation like on Levi. So, you know, when you look at the fine arts people, and I'm not putting all of them on there because some of them are healthy, very healthy, a lot of them. But when I was in college, I didn't want to be a music major because the fine arts people were the most catty, backbiting group. And that's Levites, people with a Levite call. And if you look at the gossip and the backbiting amongst fine arts people and prophetic people today and ministers today of the gospel, oh, it is just atrocious. You can find some nice places that are James 3.17 all the time, but that's why I started teaching as God allowed me to see all this. The Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5, from such turn away fellowships. They're lovers of themselves, accusers, 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 boasters, 
proud, all that stuff. And then after time, if you've given it your best shot, you've forgiven, you're not critical for the sake of your family and the children. You don't want to be in that caustic environment. It says, command from such turn away. And I have. So God is good. And see, if you talk like, if you teach correction, if you teach reproof, which is 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, and the root foundation Bible verse for this ministry, and I'm going to have a college, pray on it, though. It's really difficult to get focused. I mean, God is good, but it will happen. Having a Psalm 118, Doctrines for a New Day, positive ministry, but realistic. No Levitical patriarchism. Then you can see the difference if you teach today to the caustic thousands. If you teach correction or reproof because of their doctrine, they accuse you of being a critic. They accuse you of being contentious. And so I had to teach Jude, there is such a thing as contending for the faith when you know it's like Jesus, it's in danger of being wiped out, of being false, the whole thing, instead of just a bit, all these streams out there. Jesus Christ tossed over the temple money changers. You know those priests would have, if they were lived today, they'd say, you know that Jesus, he belongs, he better, he has a bitter root. He's made bitter root judgments against us priests. That's how they talk. He said, you know, he better, we better put him in the six-week fix him fast class because he has big issues. He needs healing. He has unforgiveness. Bitter. That's what they would say if Jesus tossed over the temple money changers today. They would find fault with him and say, you know what? We don't need to pay attention to Jesus. He's just got bitter roots. He's uh, trying to make a, he's jealous of us. And some little old lady with a cane would come up and say to Jesus, Jesus, don't let your good be evil spoken of. Don't you know that you hurt your mama and her reputation and all your disciples? All of those names are ruined because of you. See, that is Christ following right there at the grassroots, some places. Oh, there were about 10 of them I came up with. I won't tell them now. But anyway, so the idea is we go to different customs, traditions, and people-pleasing human ways, as well as Bible organic pure and not so pure, you know, not quite getting it, doctrine. And that's where we're on our Noborean BYOB, bring your own Bible, exploration and putting the ball in your court. Hey, I didn't go to Bible seminary. Lord homeschooled me over the years with his mercy and good study and prayer. People speaking in my life, good examples of my parents. But he also will tell you, you have the freedom to be a noble Berean. And Paul said to the noble Bereans, let me say this, he, he commended the noble Bereans who were Jews for picking apart his doctrine, his teaching, and see if it really lined up with the scripture. You have my blessing and your opinions, though, if it's different, can be, you're different. Everyone can have different opinion. They got to hear God for themselves right now. They need meat. The other part is if we disagree, you got to be abiding if you want to say something to me in a James 3.17 easily entreated. That means respectful tone and verbiage. If you look online, if you look at the history of Christian, he must be born again, self-righteousness. They don't look like Jesus tossing over the temple money changers. Jesus didn't organize the 12 disciples to picket and scream at the priests as they walked in. He didn't 
carry weaponry or violence or name call them or scream them. He didn't berate them in public and shame them and accuse them. Jesus Messiah assessed, but he never accused. He rose up in a pathetic, not a pathetic act, but they were pathetic, but in a prophetic act to shock them because they were in a caustic, dull, slumbering state. And that's what we can teach on the Church of Ephesians chapter 1 being the same as, a.k.a. similar to the first Samuel, Eli, temple high priesthood who is compassion fatigued, overly full of itself, jaded and caustic by the time, due to seeing so many bad things, jaded toward women, accusing toward the lone woman, and also tolerant, overly tolerant of what goes on in their ministry, such as Eli and his two sons that were like the devil, it says, sons of perdition, they called them, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were well-known and widely reported around the whole area. Everybody knew except Eli, I guess, or else he didn't want to know. He ignored in denial. And so those two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were well-known, renowned for sleeping with the women, using the women that came to the temple for their own pleasure. And then they were also known for taking God's offering putting pressure on people to give more and then taking it for themselves. It says that in that day, because of those two sons of Eli, that the offering of the Lord was despised in the area. And you know what? The offering of the Lord for the last how many years, 15 to 18, 20 years, has been despised in America. But it wasn't despised in my daddy. It wasn't despised in some places, but it is generally in the populace and on TV because of what went on under this name of Christianity, starting with the fan club following Big Eye Ministry. And there's nothing wrong with big TV and production. You want to do it well. I like TV. I want to be on the right way. You know, look better. But the idea is that you have to train. This is it. The issue is many a slip. Many a good preacher can come on and teach the right thing, but people are ignorant and clueless. A lot of them at the bottom, they never had good family, good raising, good taste. They have their own in-house private views and teachings and twistings and fads and fancies. They have some of the wannabe posturing. Oh, yeah, I don't know how to make it. I need to make money like they. I look good. I get a suit. I get my business card my cd to give out and i can be in ministry too and get perks like bishop i can get hey i can get a fan club and make money off of them and that is there so there's no formula in this there's no everybody does what everybody's like that no they're not they're not so you have to take it even people of different colors, of different faiths, of different identities, of different lifestyles, different born-again people, different males, different females, and so forth. In this life, now on, nobody, nobody is a stereotype. They are a relationship coming toward you and me. Everybody that comes toward you has issues. Everyone has real issues and light issues. Everyone, you don't know, but they bring their network with them. So when I look at people that come down the road, let's say I see a new person, I'll say, all right, that person looks unusual. However, I understand life. I've been around. I know these people may have really been hurt. They have really been hurt, or maybe they have 
no skill except manipulation or they have no skill because they were brought up so bad or if I see somebody with a different identity I think man the first thing that crosses my mind are they in pain that is my first thing I think that every time I've talked to somebody with a homosexual gay persuasion and I've I've laughed with them I've talked with them I've joked I've, I've had friends I mean I am not going to be fearful or a homophobe I think just like a heterosexual, just like a black person, what have you been through? What has been through to get to you and kill you and hurt you? And that is my first thought. Not all of them are like that. Not everyone has been through the hardest story, but a lot more than you would think have. So I will not ever make a point, ever look at anybody except for this is an individual soul made in the image of God, male or female, male and female, whatever you are, I'm going to look at you because I love you. I really do. And I'm just going to say, God, it's between you and them about their heartache. But if I can show them love or show them a scripture, show them that I, I care without hurting them, that would be my mission. If I can show them Jesus' love and respect, real respect, but out of a pure heart, whether they have sinned or not, technically in the eyes of other people or God himself or the Bible, I will not be their judge or accuser. I will assess. I will say, yep, that person is that. That person wants that. That person is like that. But I also assess what have they been through the hell in their life before I met them. Rape, abuse. This one man, gentleman, before I, 8 to 10, 12 years ago in Texas, I put an ad in the paper for a transcriber. Well, this person shows up for the interview and this person is wearing a big Hawaiian shirt, very large person in a Hawaiian shirt. And so I look and I think, I wonder if this guy is a gay person, gay man. And so I just said, because I have to say, we are Christian, you know, are you going to be feel, feel comfortable if I offer you the position as a transcriber? And so I sat down, we had coffee. I said, you know, um, are you a Christian? He said, well, I used to be. And I, that got my attention quick. I thought, oh, well, let me, I want to hear your story. So this person had been a Catholic up north, not Texas, not anywhere, but way up north. And his father had been very wealthy and had a huge corporation and gave money to the church, was one of the big wigs up there. Well, when this young man was 13, the priest at his school started to rape him. And it went on the whole of high school, finally, he told his father, this young man had told the father that the priest was raping him. Well, guess what? This high and mighty donor also started to rape his son. Well, this person quit his family, quit the church, and they went, went to California and found a partner. And he would minister and bake. It brings tears to my eyes. He would break, he would, he would bake wonderful things for the people dying in hospices and that's who he did that's always big but he made me he was so smart and so strong so I had him on my show I really enjoyed him he was it was a riot because he had thought it out he said to me this is how I learned something he said do you realize he told me do you realize there are 333 bible verses that warn against the heterosexual I said no he said, and there's only nine or six homosexual. I said, no, I didn't know. He's the one that told me about the sins of Sodom. And I use that ever since. So I honor him. <laughs> it was like, oh my 
heavens. It says these are the sins of Sodom, and it was the church. Google the sins of Sodom in Ezekiel. They, they got self-indulgent. They failed to pity the poor. They had empathy, compassion, fatigue, and this person did not. And when I had my issue, my, my trial in the, right before I moved back to McKinney, not one tongue talker church would call me back when I had an emergency as a stranger in town. I finally met somebody that was in a barista fellowship that ministered to the homeless there. I noticed that there were a lot more homeless over there. And I confided in her. I'd been a rape attempt and that, um, and that my car had died. All these things were going on and I didn't know anybody and I was stuck. And this person who happened to be the good Samaritan, the only one I found in the whole area in the Christian sense, happened to be also LGBT. Who will judge? I will not. I will only think, thank God for good people the few good people there are. I will let God talk to that person about that issue. I will be my witness and say whatever I'm supposed to say, but I will not ever accuse. I will assess. And then if I assess, I hope they'll assess me when I have my big shortcomings. Maybe I talk too much. Maybe I don't do whatever they think I should do. But you know what? That's how we have society. That's how we have grace. We don't have PC. We have conviction, but not condemnation and accusation. So when I'm talking these things, I got to go. I didn't quite finish it another time, but there is such a thing as is bowing and scraping. And there is such a thing as servant leadership. And everyone can be taught boundaries. And then there is such a thing as our group. And I think of my dad, just a gentle person doing God's work daily without being praised. But I think of Galatians 1, 1 and 2, which says, Paul, an apostle sent out, not by anyone man, human, not by anyone group. I and the crowd that is with me, the brothers that are with me. And I think also look this. It says the brothers and sisters, of course, the brothers that are with me, they are with me. They're not under me. Paul didn't. I'm going to teach that a whole group, that whole lesson on that one. Paul didn't say he didn't look down on anybody's less than Jesus didn't either. He had a team. He didn't have a, a health, you know, a high and mighty pretentious regimen of bowing and scraping. So anyway, let's go about doing good like Jesus, like my dad. Healing all who are oppressed by the devil. The Lord will be with you. Acts 10.38 is Jesus. And that's my style. Love you all. God bless you. He loves you. This is Tavo DRC signing out for now. Bye-bye. Good morning. And this is Tavo DRC of Tavo Creative Leadership. We're going to speak on covering. And if you are not a person who believes in speaking in tongues or come in, come in, down from a family of such, then you probably think, what in the world is that? And I believe the same way. I didn't understand it or want to ever heard, hear from it coming down from Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and mostly Baptists on my parents' sides. And they were really not indifferent. They were really on fire for the Lord, but in a gentle way, Southern way. And they were very respectful and they relied on the Holy Spirit. They renewed their mind with the word. The husbands were in business. The women were very capable overseer managers of their household, but it wasn't a plantation. They were very unracist 
and they were very respectful to all walks of life, all kinds of people. And when my aunt got a divorce because her Episcopal her Episcopal um, priest husband had committed adultery on her, we took the four children in. Well, she was ill and needed help, so we, she had an African-American heritage nurse. So Helen lived with us, and we would treat her just like the family. We'd all laugh together, and, you know, I didn't grow, grow up thinking anything about it, that we weren't segregated. So the idea is when you come from different parts of the country, different backgrounds, different faiths, you're going to have different vocabulary, different preaching that emphasizes certain things. And so I'm not the kind of person with white skin, Western European heritage that preaches or thinks we are the world, we control everybody, we own everybody. But that is out there, and that's usually in the group I called we-centric. I'm not we-centric, I'm we-global. I think other races, we think out in the field, just, you know, real people, no matter what your faith, your background or race or status or education. My parents were, I guess you'd say, sort of white collar, but they were down to earth. You wouldn't know it. They were just scholars. And we served. Some of my memories were out in the, in the field, in the country, you know, like the country church. And yet, that's where my father pastored for a while when I was growing up. He was a seminary graduate. And then... But we were led by the Spirit. It was like, oh yeah, we just want to hear God. No matter what it is, we'll do it. That's how they were. And they also taught school. I never went to seminary. When I grew up and I got the call, after my dad died, my grandmother died, my mother's mother, who was very effective on me as a minister woman, though they didn't call themselves titles, my, my grandmother then, that was the day of Presbyterian. And she was just like a servant leader, but taught the Bible and a scholar helped the poor and had her own ministry, but no one thought anything. It was just part of her nature. So when I grew up and it was time for me to answer God's call, I just asked God, Lord, should I go to seminary? My father had died and my sister and mother had heard God to go up to Oklahoma and to go to Bible college. They went to Rama Training Center. So I'd fly out there and then go back carrying a little newborn at the time. And I would say, Lord, am I supposed to go? Do I get to go to Bible college? college or seminary somewhere? And the Lord said, no. I went, what? So I said, well, what What about that? He said, and he gave me a verse in John. It says, you will have no need that any man shall teach you, but the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. And that was it. So I thought, I am a bookworm. I am a Bible student, Jesus person, grew up with faith in the family, you know, with an intellect. And I thought, all right, that's all right. TV had just started to come into play, media, Christians, and I knew I could always, that isn't what I thought at the time, but I, I realized I could at the time. I knew the body. I was always interested in the different kinds of born-again Christians, black and white, and their doctrine, because the Lord had called me prior to this moment when I was sitting in a Presbyterian church with my husband before children, and it was half charismatic, half church, but they weren't plastic. They were real people seeking truth, seeking more about the Holy Spirit in a deep way. And the Lord just said, I want you to study my whole body, all their different doctrines, their leadership styles, their vocabulary, what they are, their pet peeves with other, you know, their doctrine and so forth, their music styles. So I said, okay. So then that happened and years passed. You just be led by the Spirit like a servant of God. So then I would stumble across different, you know, invitations. They'd invite me to pray, or I'd hear about the prayer call for racial repentance, healing of 
between denominations back where I used to live. And that went on a lot, and it was very effective and very mature. I haven't found it out here. It's more social, butterfly-type ministry down deep. So, the, And the issue it isn't, in my opinion, it could go a lot deeper out here. There are some that are in pockets. But anyway, so I would just be led of the Spirit, and it was... When I was led to study the ones who believe that if you accept accept Jesus Christ into your heart, which is what the Bible teaches in the New Testament, as your only personal Savior, and you walk within, then you're born again. And that's the kind. When we've gotten media and all the circus of media and all the weird moves and all the good moves and all the things that are not sound at the local level, where I call them Bible thumpers exist and don't exist, some are not. And you get the TV media affected media, which is my turf. I think this is it. The you must be born again media, which has turned either accuser or proud. So I'm going to talk today about this different vocabulary called covering. That means spiritual authority. That means who's over whom, who's under whom. I'm writing now about who is Paul, Apostle Paul, over who was he under? Because he was a famous, as you know, I call him the first church apostles, the chief apostles that started the church, jump-started it after Jesus commissioned them. Paul was not mentored by Christ personally. The other 12 were, but he wrote thir- uh, two-thirds of the New Testament after his time up in Arabia because he was distanced from by the first 12. They didn't trust him. They weren't mature at the time. So, you know, but they were... Nobody's perfect, none of us, not them, but they are. We honor them. They are significant that God used them in that place and time. And there are certain mantles and calls and DNA and their family to jumpstart the work, a whole work of the first church, which is now around the world, not just America. So we look back then, we think, well, how did they run it and what were they like? Well, they had a combination. They had like the Jewish people with law, their history of the law, traditions. Then they had the Gentiles, that was everyone else, from the Temple Diana Mega Ministry, false idols, Baal worshippers, sacrificed children, Molech and all that. They had the people that were Romans and Scythians and Greeks and then they had within the you know all the Gentiles, everybody's not a Hebrew background is a Gentile even today. So we have such a quagmire, a hodgepodge of pre-Christian church. Some legalism, too much, some too much freedom, and then people just natural, soft-spoken who just wanted to find God, just like we do today when it's really basically post-Christian. Not because God wanted it to, not because the devil did it, because the Christian church is asleep. Has been. So we are going to minister today by offering you this sila, And I have watched, as a Christian for many decades, I've watched the unsung leaders do their thing, and then new moves will come into a region, into my former home, as they do now, and then they'll go. And then some will bring good things, some will bring fake, some will, be, some will stay etched in their traditions, and try to people-please by following and copycatting former moves to get curry favor and win and be selected. And then others will maybe be unsuspecting, 
clueless and then they'll just swallow anybody's teaching because the pe person wears a good suit or she does or he does or maybe they didn't have great debt which is not their fault to have not a great father or parents mine was by grace only undeserved favor you know grace even then I got parents that were saved so the idea is that nobody has it all nobody wants it all but we can use what we've been given good and bad plastic and phony true and valid to help minister to help somebody similar or equal that you know has been through similar that you need to help them overcome so then we add everybody traditional people never left town people that are transported all over the place the good news the gossips you name it children and lay leaders and people who call themselves elders some that sacrifice some that don't some have husbands that work some don't have husbands some have husbands that do not work and all sorts of different you know family situations person situations and we add tv we add tv that came in on the 80s and then they started to know because of you know billy graham was really on tv and he if you look at his clips google him for really a total shift a whole shift away from charismatic culture let's put it this way primarily TV affected media before it got slick look at Billy Graham and watch two or three of his programs and you will know the holy fear of the Lord so then you look at the movements that came because of God allowing people really good people called to have television as they, as they do now and nobody's finding fault with this we just know that when God brings a new move whether it's my kind or your style he will use what the bible says untrained and ignorant people and there's nothing wrong because that's usually people are open like the good shepherds the shepherds in the fields sitting watch over their flocks by night they were the untrained ignorant group not the in crowd of the legalistic pharisee system god purposely chose them because of their humility their floundering their know they were not perfect their open hearts so when we find God moving on any people group in or out of the system, he will test and try their hearts with his move and he'll use people and then he'll, the devil will send counterfeit plastic or whatever, hype, pomp and ceremony, too many things that are really not legitimate in the New Testament humility sense or the community sense or the sweet fragrance of real Jesus followers. So if we isolate the New Testament, we know that we're not, it's important to know we're back, not back under the law. That means we're not back under legalism. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He was a prophet that fulfilled the law, yet he was not like an Old Testament prophet. He heard God, but he wasn't one of these overly dramatic, you know, people in, since the 90s up have penned books about prophecies or what how to teach prophecy and they'll say certain books have said that I've read it says you know prophet a real office prophet today might be moody might be you know severe might be cranky and I think they haven't really finished studying Jesus Christ the spirit of New Testament prophecy and I have Hebrews 1 1 and 2 says for example that in the former days God used his he spoke to his prophets God used prophets to speak to his people that means the national leaders of the Hebrews through various means so flip back go through Jeremiah Elijah Elisha the signs and wonders which he still could do today we don't know what God will end up doing but the idea is these people were more craggy 
and nobody could hear the Lord back then except a few, and they were called by God, and those were the prophets, maybe a priest, but really the prophets, the oracle office, would go and pray, seek God, come out with the word for the nation and for the people of Israel. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, In the former days, God spoke to the, the fathers, the groups, in diverse manners using the prophets. So he did it that way. It was, a, you know, unusual. Axe head floated and all these things, signs and wonders. It says, In the new day, God speaks to us through his, he speaks to us through, in the office ministry, through his son, Jesus. So therefore, we have to look at how a prophet is taught, represented, and how we tell God's people about what a prophet is. All right, it's servant leadership. If you read about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he was alive on the earth, that's my secret. You go and you read and study Jesus as he entered every single kind of relationship, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And then he, how did Jesus act at that relationship and how did he react if he was under pressure? And that's how we act. So our Bible says that in Revelation 19.10, it says that the spirit of Jesus is the testimony of prophecy, or the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, excuse me. So we have to mean that means that the prophet, or a person that teaches about prophecy, has to look like Jesus. Well, as I know in Hebrews 1.9, Jesus had the oil of joy and gladness, above his fellows, it said. He didn't take himself too seriously. I know that Jesus went out and played with the children. He didn't take himself. He wasn't, you know, hidden by bodyguards and handlers. Let me say that about bodyguards and handlers. If you know how weird it is, it is weird. Then maybe you need to have them if God tells you. Otherwise, don't be approachable. I like Jesus as the prophet of the New Testament because he reminds me of my dad. My dad was very approachable, an unsung hero, and he just was a true person, respected my mother, his mother, my mom's mother, all the people, black people, white people, brown people. He didn't care because he saw God. He just really wanted to respect the human, the everyday human, and that's who I want to be. I am. I like it. So the idea is that we know that there are groups that put on airs, and there knows knows that groups don't. And the Bible says that, you know what? Everybody falls short. Nobody knows it all. It says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I know I have. The other part is that it says when the gospel in the first church was presented to untamed, ignorant men, they didn't. God didn't intend for them to stay that way. They could, in time and study and prayer, grow more studious and scholarly, have more dignity for the sake of the gospel, knew what following Christ, follow it meant, ins and outs and that's how we want to pray on emotionally healthy representation if anything that is this ministry emotionally healthy james three seventeen fruit of relationships in the fear of the lord for every human respect every equal opportunity respect for the office of every human made in god's image psalm 139 my dad didn't ever talk like that, but that's how he lived. And that's why I just think of God as like that Jesus walking around, prophet or not, apostle of the whole first church, apostle over chief apostle over all the chief apostles of every work in, name in, in the name of Jesus. That is our Christ. But he went about silently, one day in, one day out, doing good, according to Acts ten thirty eight, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil respecting his mother
all types of people, all leaders, all women and men. Okay, so we look at the quality of the leadership. So then you know, here's what I want to follow. If you can study the fruit of leadership in males and females, and you study how they treat people, react under pressure, how they deal with people, ins and outs, you're going to say, I really do want to go to that ministry. I really do want to go to that fellowship because I know that they are fair. I know that they are respectful and honor people of all ages, faiths, and genders. So then we look and think, well, what is it that some groups, you go in there, they're so happy to see you, they light up, they have all kinds of colors in there, no big eyes, little use, they're really interested in servant leadership, they know God's heart because they're really about community, about a faith-filled community, not anyone having to lord it over the other or anyone having to rise up over often and honor the head person, the head oracle as they come in and no big, big deal and, you know, no big cheeses. The only big cheese is Jesus. And so I love that. And see, there is a difference without titles, without formula, without you know, bishop honoring and prophet honoring and pastor honoring over much, it's, you should honor, because the opposite is, there are people who are really weak, and they could really be ignorant and clueless about boundaries and respect, so you have to do teaching of that kind of group for a while, but train everybody, and then don't overdo it, where God gets 20 minutes of worship, and the bishop or pastor gets 45. I've seen that on several, more than one occasion. So that's, that were, that's when these things quicken me when I see it more than three times. Three times or more I teach. The idea is you're teaching people, God's people, but then they're, you're emulating it about formula and hype and that you respect the person maybe equally with God to little children. That's what we're saying. We want Jesus to be, his house to be about everyone hearing God in a relationship, everyone free to be a noble Berean, pick apart with James 3.17, kind fruit, not critical, what the pastor teaches, including myself, this one here. The idea is that some groups don't have this, some do, but I'm talking about when you go into a group that usually believes in praying in tongues, and they have good prayer warriors, I think a lot of them have a lot of issues with women. They've had a lot of problems with women, and they didn't know what to do because maybe they weren't respected by their mother growing up. That's my thought. I was, and I also know that I was respected by my father, and I've always been James 3.17. But I know that certain people come from different backgrounds and may have had a real craggy, maybe authoritarian female or, or something, you know, prejudiced or something where they come out of teaching under the law, which says, and this is it, all, like the Old Testament, all Men are the authority. Women have none. And I hate to say it, some of them go so bad, it's almost like the women are second-class citizens and that the men need to be raised up and the women withstood. I've literally been around amongst this kind, and I moved out. But it took me two or three years to figure out what I was seeing, and it was deep south. So the thing is, it makes me all go back and think, well, they're under the law. Where, you know, they have really great, some of these are fun, some of these are praiseworthy, some of these have really good things they say that are quality, and the people look good and shiny. The issue is, what is it when you feel that you have a, you know, 
what is it when you feel and you notice that women are always never on stage or women are really held and there are no black people Usually, where there's no women there's one black person <laughs> and I started because I was never raised around that it made it easier for me to understand to get it it got my attention in the spiritual sense because I was never raised back under the law I had freedom to be myself from my father and my mother and nobody had this stigma, well, thou shalt not female, thou shalt not white female. Black people don't do it either. Now, I think black people have their own thing that maybe they've you know, gotten through the Western European. Some of this patricianism maybe has infected the Nicolaitans, like elevated ministry too much in certain groups only. But in general, I could go myself as a strong leader female who's quiet I can go to an African-American church anytime and they'll just light up because they they're spiritually discerning of who you are could be because they had so much oppression and slavery that they developed that sense and they come from more of the hunter-gatherers over in their nation of origin and I'm not sure all of those are like that but I've when I've had friends of pastors and spoke you know stayed in their houses when I go to a church of any global sense even global we global which are not we centric those people understand my my nature and they don't get alarmed so here's what happened when i had been treated respectfully by my family by my neighbors by my most of the you know people in my board that were black and white and when i'd been respected around certain kinds in my region these doctrines started to come in slowly from the deep south this elevated ministry the patricianism roman aristocracy everybody bound scrape and so forth and i thought i puzzled myself because i was always trained from birth up you regard somebody's boundaries and when you're in their house their business or their church you never say anything you just do what they need you to do observe the house rules however when you're free you're free to be yourself and i'm like that unless they are evil or violent or mean or really out of it then i will leave anyone should so i was used to being around town and in the area in regional ministry and so i would go here and i'd go there and i'd find things really down to earth humble primarily and respectful both black and white so then these doctrines moved in and I was sent out of town I didn't know what they were but it turns out in hindsight and study and when I found them triple fold quadruple quintuple fold after I moved to DFW in certain parts of the body I went oh my stars let me study the doctrine at one point when I studied the uh, Eli Templeite priesthood and whelp Levitical patriarchism back under the law disrespects women uh, I also found that the Church of Ephesus, that I really love that book of Ephesians, is so wonderful. But what happened was the first church that gets rebuked, that lampstand, is the Church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 because they lost their first love and were into works. And they were under pressure, time-consumed, and lost it. their compassion fatigue, so they're similar to the Eli Temple compassion fatigued priesthood lacking in empathy making snap judgments to save emotional energy and time which i've taught about in great length on tavoleader.com years ago 2013 or so i'll try to bring that out because i'm trying to point out about doctrines that have western european levitical patriarchism or whelp which is really shepherding overseer shepherding 
how did I figure this out? How did you know God allow me to figure it out? Well, one time when I was on a trip, it was not in Virginia, I'd gotten away to go to a conference, really several conferences, and when I was everything was fine in my own home area that people that didn't react or bristle when a female, you know, to my knowledge, broke, walked up and I felt respected. I could feel that. Well, I'd go down to certain parts of the body and though they had a lot of good things, they did on and very integrity. I noticed that these were all men. They had no women. They had no blacks at the time. Maybe they were trying to. But anyway, I'd walk in after being everybody friendly as a professional minister and Oh, yes, this is how we treat peers or God's people in general. And there was no flinching or anything. And I would find that this particular group that I would walk in peaceful as usual, calm. I knew I was in a different flow than my norm, and they were different from me. But I was on, you know, we're Christians, aren't we? Aren't we on the same team? So I'd go in, I noticed this bristling. And if I tried to say hello to the men, and they were big men, even big men. I mean, I'm five foot ten. Five to nine and a half in bare feet without shoes. But I mean, these are bigger guys than me, six foot three at least, and much heavier. So I would go up just to say, as a professional top leader of my ministry, apostolic leader, I'd say, Oh, I want to thank you for the meeting. And I couldn't start anything, they'd back off. And I'd, if I said hello to the worship team guy, the head guy one time of the same group, it was like I'd sinned. I thought, what is this about me? Is it me, Lord? And it was, I noticed the women were sort of hangdog or chastened, and they had a lot of books about Jezebel. That's when I started noticing teaching affecting relationships. And I noticed that the people were, were like stereotyping me in a racial bias, a racial stereotype. So I thought, let me stereotype them back. I thought, I don't feel it in that group. My daddy wouldn't like that. I felt respected. He didn't have any respecter of person's religious spirit on him. So let me go back and see what happens. I'm going to, if I'm racially profiled, I said to myself, I said, I'm going to see what kind of people in God's people are doing this. You know, I've never dealt with this. I'm not talking any secular thing. This is all Christian and all you must be born again, Christian stuff. I'm saying it to the Christians. Anyone else can listen, but you know, I, my word is only for the Christian. All right. And I submit it with love and Sila, because this is how you can help make Jesus house more safe and sane and accepting, you know, a good witness. So I'd go in and I'd say, here I am, very quiet, meek, James 3.17, acting that any wisdom of God on me is, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality and without hypocrisy and discerning all the boundaries. All I want to do is say hi and thank you for the meeting and you know what I mean? So then they, one guy who's the head leader of one of these, <laughs> I was going to ask him if I could film him later for a interview for my TV show. I never got anywhere. He backed off like he'd seen a Jezebel. He whacked off like he'd seen a witch. And that is so degrading and demeaning to a female a female of a pure heart and a pure life. It is just degrading. So I made, and the, and the worship leaders were like that too. I thought any, if I say hello to thank you and I, or maybe ask a question, do you mean that you think I'm coming after you? Is your ego that unredeemed? Unjust? Do you think I'm your groupie just because I'm a, a, a white female coming up? 
it's so insulting and I want to teach on it for the other female and other the sake of anybody men and women and I did realize I was hitting right at the tips of maybe celebrity worship leaders the staff been former celebrities a lot of them and really nice but still coming out of the professional music realm and maybe they did used to have groupies so maybe their consciences maybe they were weak that's what I think I was thinking why do people act this way when this happens or that and I was thinking well you know what I didn't come from fame I didn't have any issue with fornication or men or anything by God's grace and maybe these people used to have women after them and maybe they fell for sin before they got married maybe after so but the whole group is skittish <laughs> skittish so I thought if I come up so, you know quietly and respectfully and they act that way like I'm an out of control after them worked up woman what is in that perception of ministry and in Christian females so I said, let me make my profile. If I'm being profiled without any relationship, no relationship, no, let me introduce myself, no chance, no chance. So all I did was, all right, every time this ever happened, this is how I found well, frankly. My daddy was white, but he wasn't like that. All the white people on my board, Pentecostals were not like that. Baptists were not like that. I'll have to say generally that might be a freak in there somewhere. Uh, and I thought, how come I go up and I get racially profiled, which I feel it because I'm a prophet. And I don't like it. It's not fun. And so I just thought, let me look. Well, here's the profile I got. If I look like a certain type that justifies being accused from afar, this is the type I found. They were middle-aged, been in ministry a while, they were maybe just had seen it all done it all and they were white they were western european origin and they came from country most every single one came from country i did not i did not my daddy would lived in country but they were more educated you know back in the day they were they were the white collar of country <laughs> and yet he it wasn't like no one came i mean they were like everybody but it was just like there was no they were educated. And I, when I traced back the doctrines and I'd watch who their spiritual advisors were, these same groups, those people were way country and way patriarchal. Because when I would go up to that one of their best known prophet, famous associates, that person wouldn't give me the time of day. And I thought, just that makes me understand why it says... Fear of, fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 28, 29, 25, but also fear of woman, leader woman can bring a snare. It's, it's, it's like a, a bias that projects spiritually from these kind of people. It's a bias. It's a spiritual warfare thing. And I also thought this is how God used it to say this is how it feels to be if you have black skin. I looked at the group every time and I noticed these same Western European Levitical patriarchs believed in women being suppressed. And a lot of the women were depressed because I was out different, you know, over a period of time. And then I noticed that there was no black leadership, and if any, one on any group of these kind of people, and then no female leaders. Maybe they're weak, you know, that was 20 years ago on up to now, but maybe they have one, even two at the most anywhere on their stage maybe one or if any 
So we want to say to caution, not to condemn, but to caution. I'm assessing. God uses me to assess relationship, pure fruit. Is it abiding in James 3.17? Let's say a man, a white man, a white woman, and a black man, or a black person walks up, and then you see them coming, and your heart's going to do something, and your heart's going to either make a snap judgment accusation Oh, yeah, I heard all those white people were like that. My daddy told me, oh, yeah, I had a black person hurt me. Oh, yeah, that black man hurt or molested, you know, blah, 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 or Hispanic. could be Asian as well. And I thought that's the heart game. The Bible teaches us that the heart is wicked. The human heart is wicked. Who can know it? So now let's know it a bit to say if I have a habit or a untrained heart or an unrenewed mind, an unrepentant heart, then I will look at a, if I'm bigoted in my background and biased in my heart and soul, I will look at a stranger from another nation or black person, white person's skin or their hairstyle, their color of, of a female or whatever nation of origin, and I will flinch and I will either be rude, accusing and judging, or I will not be that way and have a relationship be relationship friendly relationship respecting and see we're not asking anybody to trust anybody at this point we've got to really be careful on that but we're not to be moved by the outer court we're not to be moved by family we're not to be moved by anything but the holy spirit in us and the fruit and the bible and the fruit of relationship James 3.17 plus Galatians 5.22, Fruits of the Spirit, until proven otherwise. But it made me realize a heightened need of how bad it is to have the... When I moved to the Deep South was worse than I... I that's why I dropped out online and went online at the leading of the Lord. It was caustic Christ-following mixed with TV, media, wannabe, Boanerge, immaturity. They rip off artists. These people that... The first group on the, in the North Carolina were not. They were integrity. That's why I could go. I liked them. But I felt like I'm more than just a fan. I'm not a fan. And see, that's it. You're getting over from the normal Baptist, Methodist, Catholic church attenders who want to go and worship God. And they know there's a priest. And they know there's going to be a familiar face of the pastor, the chief person, male or female. But when you get over to where there's a lot of this celebrity and hype and more famous, you know, in this age, famous fan club type following and popular books and popular ministry and popular worship and charismatic hoopla and fan clubs, that's when this starts to happen. This is not all the place it happens. It can happen in the lowest grassroots. I've been around that, too in Virginia, North Carolina, Florida. Do we forgive them? Yeah. But do we want it to ha hurt Jesus' name and hurt people? It hurts people. People need, they're so stressed, they're already accused. Their husband's already not speaking to them. They've already been maligned in the gossip of the work. They've already had their children cry. They've already had all this stress in hell, the mother-in-law, mean, father-in-law, you know, all the husbands are absent, whatever. They don't need to be back under the law when they paid a price to get there by putting gas in their tank, getting their children ready, all the stress, driving across town, 
putting themselves out there to be loved and welcomed and warmly greeted when instead they are hostily accused by the head group and their elders and the trained workers on the floor who know this doctrine for simply showing up when they're atypical. And my mother, this is all white world. This is white, but not all whites. This is Western European Levitical patriarch, which goes back to the roots of Levi, who is dysfunctional and chaotic and had issues toward women. He had misogyny and chauvinism toward his mother, Leah, who was the weaker, unpreferred, rejected mother. And within the group of Rachel and Levi, Rachel and Jacob and all that, which later turned to be Israel, turned out well in the 12 tribes of Israel, we find the dysfunctional home in which Levi, the head of the tribe, was raised. He was a murderer. He uh, tried to revenge his, his, his daughter, his sister Diana's rape. His mother was rejected. He overstepped his father's boundaries because the father said, don't revenge your da- my daughter's rape, my daughter's rape. Don't do that because I'm going to let to avoid war, we're going to let her marry the guy because he really loves her. Well, if you study that like I did, you're going to find that the typical middle child syndrome, the typical child raised un, you know, by the, his father was not as in love with Leah like he was Rachel, the other wife. And then there's caustic chaos and dysfunction in the home because both wives, Rachel and Leah, vied for the intention of the husband and they would even get maids to have children to win the amount of children. That's how bad it was. And see, thank God for Jesus. I had to teach on this because it's so comforting. Jesus was not as a minister down from the tribe of Levi. He came from the root of Jesse, which is the tribe of the agricultural tribe of Judah, which means to plow and in the spiritual sense to praise. Hallelujah for that. So nothing could come on down from his mother Mary's side to bring that dysfunction and critical nature accusation like on Levi. So, you know, when you look at the fine arts people, and I'm not putting all of them on there because some of them are healthy, very healthy, a lot of them. But when I was in college, I didn't want to be a music major because the fine arts people were the most catty, backbiting group, and that's Levites, people with a Levite call. And if you look at the gossip and the backbiting amongst fine arts people and prophetic people today and ministers today of the gospel, oh, it is just atrocious. You can find some nice places that are James 3.17 all the time, but that's why I started teaching as God allowed me to see all this. The Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5, from such turn away fellowships, their lovers of themselves, accusers, 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 boasters, proud, all that stuff. And then after time, if you've given it your best shot, you've forgiven, you're not critical for the sake of your family and the children. You don't want to be in that caustic environment. It says command from such turn away. And I have. So God is good. And see, if you talk like, if you teach correction, if you teach reproof, which is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, and the root foundation Bible verse for this ministry, and I'm going to have a college, pray on it, though. It's really difficult to get focused. I mean, God is good, but it will happen. Having a Psalm 118, Doctrines for a New Day, positive ministry, but realistic. No Levitical patriarchism. 
then you can see the difference if you teach today to the caustic thousands if you teach correction or reproof because of their doctrine they accuse you of being a critic they accuse you of being contentious and so I had to teach Jude there is such a thing as contending for the faith when you know it's like Jesus it's in danger of being wiped out of being false the whole thing instead of just a bit all these streams out there Jesus Christ tossed over the temple money changers you know those priests would have if they were lived today they'd say you know that Jesus he belonged he better he is a bitter root he's made bitter root judgments against us priests that's how they talk he said you know he better we better put him in the six week fix him fast class because he has big issues he needs healing he has unforgiveness bitter that's what they would say if Jesus tossed over the temple money changers today. They would find fault with him and say, you know what? We don't need to pay attention to Jesus. He's just got bitter roots. He's uh, trying to make a, he's jealous of us. And some little old lady with a cane would come up and say to Jesus, Jesus, don't let your good be evil spoken of. Don't you know that you hurt your mama and her reputation and all your disciples? All of those names are ruined because of you. See, that is Christ following right there at the grassroots, some places. Oh, there were about 10 of them I came up with. I won't tell them now. But anyway, so the idea is we go to different customs, traditions, and people-pleasing human ways, as well as Bible, organic, pure, and not so pure, you know, not quite getting it, doctrine. And that's where we're on our Noborean B-Y-O-B, bring your own Bible, exploration, and putting the ball in your court. Hey, I didn't go to Bible seminary. Lord homeschooled me over the years with his mercy and good study and prayer. People speaking in my life, good examples of my parents. But he also will tell you, you have the freedom to be a noble Berean. And Paul said to the noble Bereans, let me say this, he, he commended the noble Bereans who were Jews for picking apart his doctrine, his teaching, and see if it really lined up with the scripture. You have my blessing and your opinions, though, if it's different, can be, you're different. Everyone can have different opinion. They got to hear God for themselves right now. They need meat. The other part is if we disagree, you've got to be abiding if you want to say something to me in a James 3.17 easily entreated that means respectful tone and verbiage if you look online if you look at the history of christian he must be born again self-righteousness they don't look like jesus tossing over the temple money changers jesus didn't organize the 12 disciples to picket and scream at the priests as they walked in he didn't carry weaponry or violence or name call them or scream them he didn't berate them in public and shame them and accuse them jesus messiah assessed but he never accused he rose up in a pathetic not a pathetic act but they were pathetic but in a prophetic act to shock them because they were in a caustic dull slumbering state and that's what we can teach on the Church of Ephesians chapter 1 being the same as, a.k.a. similar to the First Samuel Eli Temple High Priesthood who is compassion fatigued 
overly full of itself, jaded and caustic by the time, uh, due to seeing so many bad things, jaded toward women, accusing toward the lone woman, and also tolerant, overly tolerant of what goes on in their ministry, such as Eli and his two sons that were like the devil, it says, sons of perdition, they called them, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were well-known and widely reported around the whole area. Everybody knew except Eli, I guess. Or else he didn't want to know. He ignored in denial. And so those two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were well-known, renowned for sleeping with the women, using the women that came to the temple for their own pleasure. And then they were also known for taking God's offering putting pressure on people to give more and then taking it for themselves. It says that in that day, because of those two sons of Eli, that the offering of the Lord was despised in the area. And you know what? The offering of the Lord for the last how many years, 15 to 18, 20 years, has been despised in America. But it wasn't despised in my daddy. It wasn't despised in some places, but it is generally in the populace and on TV because of what went on under this name of Christianity, starting with the fan club following Big Eye Ministry. And there's nothing wrong with big TV and production. You want to do it well. I like TV. I want to be on the right way. You know, look better. But the idea is that you have to train. This is it. The issue is many a slip. Many a good preacher can come on and teach the right thing, but people are ignorant and clueless. A lot of them at the bottom, they never had good family, good raising, good taste. They have their own in-house private views and teachings and twistings and fads and fancies. They have some of the wannabe posturing. Oh, yeah, I don't know how to make it. I need to make money like they. I look good. I get a suit. I get my business card my cd to give out and i can be in ministry too and get perks like bishop i can get hey i can get a fan club and make money off of them and that is there so there's no formula in this there's no everybody does what everybody's like that no they're not they're not so you have to take it even people of different colors, of different faiths, of different identities, of different lifestyles, different born-again people, different males, different females, and so forth. In this life, now on, nobody, nobody is a stereotype. They are a relationship coming toward you and me. Everybody that comes toward you has issues. Everyone has real issues and light issues. Everyone, you don't know, but they bring their network with them. So when I look at people that come down the road, let's say I see a new person, I'll say, all right, that person looks unusual. However, I understand life. I've been around. I know these people may have really been hurt. They have really been hurt, or maybe they have no skill except manipulation, or they have no skill because they were brought up so bad. Or if I see somebody with a different identity, I think, man, the first thing that crosses my mind, are they in pain? That is my first thing. I think that every time I've talked to somebody with a homosexual, gay persuasion, and I've, I've laughed with them, I've talked with them, I've joked, I've, I've had friends. I mean, I'm not going to be fearful or a homophobe. I think just like a heterosexual, just like a black person, 
what have you been through? What has been through to get to you and kill you and hurt you? And that is my first thought. Not all of them are like that. Not everyone has been through the hardest story, but a lot more than you would think have. So I will not ever make a point, ever look at anybody except for this is an individual soul made in the image of God, male or female, male and female, whatever you are. I'm going to look at you because I love you. I really do. And I'm just going to say, God, it's between you and them about their heartache. But if I can show them love or show them a scripture, show them that I I care without hurting them, that would be my mission. If I can show them Jesus' love and respect, real respect, but out of a pure heart, whether they have sinned or not, technically in the eyes of other people or God himself or the Bible, I will not be their judge or accuser. I will assess. I will say, yep, that person is that. That person wants that. That person is like that. But I also assess what have they been through the hell in their life before I met them. Rape, abuse. This one man, gentleman, before I, 8 to 10, 12 years ago in Texas, I put an ad in the paper for a transcriber. Well, this person shows up for the interview and this person is wearing a big Hawaiian shirt, very large person in a Hawaiian shirt. And so I look and I think, I wonder if this guy is a gay person, gay man. And so I just said, because I have to say, we are Christian, you know, are you going to be feel, feel comfortable if I offer you the position as a transcriber? And so I sat down, we had coffee. I said, you know, um, are you a Christian? He said, well, I used to be. And I, that got my attention quick. I thought, oh, well, let me, I want to hear your story. So this person had been a Catholic up north, not Texas, not anywhere, but way up north. And his father had been very wealthy and had a huge corporation and gave money to the church, was one of the big wigs up there. Well, when this young man was 13, the priest at his school started to rape him. And it went on the whole of high school. Finally, he told his father, this young man had told the father that the priest was raping him. Well, guess what? This high and mighty donor also started to rape his son. Well, this person quit his family, quit the church, and they went, went to California and found a partner. And he would minister and bake. It brings tears to my eyes. He would, break, he would bake wonderful things for the people dying in hospices. And that's what he did. That's why he's big. But he made me, he was so smart and so strong. So I had him on my show. I really enjoyed him. He was, it was a riot because he had thought it out. He said to me, this is how I learned something. He said, do you realize, he told me, do you realize there are 333 Bible verses that warn against the heterosexual? I said, no. He said, and there's only nine or six homosexual. I said, no, I didn't know. He's the one that told me about the sins of Sodom. And I use that ever since. So I honor him. (laughs) It was like, oh my heavens. It says, these are the sins of Sodom. And it was the church. Google the sins of Sodom in Ezekiel. They they got self-indulgent. They failed to pity the poor. They had empathy, compassion, fatigue. And this person did not. And when I had my issue, my, my trial in the, right before I moved back to McKinney, not one tongue talker church would call me back when I had an emergency as a stranger in town. I finally met somebody 
that was in a barista fellowship that ministered to the homeless there. I noticed that there were a lot more homeless over there. And I confided in her I'd been a rape attempt and that, um, and that my car had died, all these things were going on, and I didn't know anybody, and I was stuck. And this person, who happened to be the Good Samaritan, the only one I found in the whole area, in the Christian sense, happened to be also LGBT. Who will judge? I will not. I will only think, thank God for good people. The few good people there are. I will let God talk to that person about that issue. I will be my witness and say whatever I'm supposed to say, but I will not ever accuse. I will assess. And then if I assess, I hope they'll assess me when I have my big shortcomings. Maybe I talk too much. Maybe I don't do whatever they think I should do. But you know what? That's how we have society. That's how we have grace. We don't have PC. We have conviction, but not condemnation and accusation. So when I'm talking these things, i got to go. I didn't quite finish it another time, but there is such a thing as is bowing and scraping. And there is such a thing as servant leadership. And everyone can be taught boundaries. And then there is such a thing as our group. And I think of my dad, just a gentle person doing God's work daily without being praised. But I think of Galatians 1, 1 and 2, which says, Paul, an apostle sent out, not by any one man, human, not by any one group. I and the crowd that is with me, the brothers that are with me. And I think also look this. It says the brothers and sisters, of course, the brothers that are with me, they are with me. They're not under me. Paul didn't. I'm going to teach that a whole group, the whole lesson on that one. Paul didn't say he didn't look down on anybody's less than Jesus didn't either. He had a team. He didn't have a, a hail, you know, a high and mighty pretentious regimen of bowing and scraping. So anyway, let's go about doing good like Jesus, like my dad. Healing all who are oppressed by the devil. The Lord will be with you. Acts 1038 is Jesus. And that's my style. Love you all. God bless you. He loves you. This is Tavo DRC signing out for now. Bye bye.